is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 10 of Conversations with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti, and I'm back with a frequent guest, Corey Sanzone. Corey, how's it going? It's great, man. Happy to be back. It's been, been a minute. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a while, man. Uh, this is, uh, I think, my first actual Season 2 episode about the actual Major League Baseball Cardinals. Kyle and I have done, we did four, yeah, four prospect talks before kind of the shutdown and winter break and lockout. And then I talked to Jake Berger and then finished up Kyle's dirty 30, dirty floor, flirty, 40, whatever. Uh, <laughs> did four more of those. And uh, yeah, now we actually get to talk baseball. Well, it's nice. Uh, I mean, we got stuck in the, in the destitute of lockout and I was getting nervous for a while there. So I'm yeah, me too, man. Me too. Back to well, uh, and they made a bunch of rule changes in those lockouts, but I, I think we'll probably get to know to those at another time. We might touch on a few of them tonight with like the DH and things that, you know, matter for tomorrow, because we are recording this on the evening of April 6th, which means opening day oh, thank God. is tomorrow. And it's at Bush for the first time in what seems like forever. Yes. And part of that's because of the lockout. We missed out on the first, what should have been the first six games. So I'm, I'm, I mean, it, that kind of sucks, but at the same time, I'm pretty happy to have opening day in Bush Stadium. Weather's supposed to be decent. Yeah, so a little chilly, really potentially rainy. They started postponing some other games today because the weather in like the East Coast is bad, but supposed to be beautiful. Going to get to watch some baseball. It's a kind of a epic return, so I'm pretty pretty excited. <laughs> All right. So speaking of that epic return, let, let's let's go ahead and and talk about that, man. The Cardinals uh, are going to have at least two players who came up with them that are going into retirement, and potentially a third with three guys who are typically at the well over the hill age when it comes to baseball. But Yadier Molina's playing. Uh, good defense still, and last year came up with timely hits, even if he wasn't the greatest hitter. Adam Wainwright's putting together some of the best years of his career, and then Albert Pujols coming back to St. Louis uh, 11 years later. He did, well, 10 years later, I guess, Um, 11 seasons later, and uh, he, he put together an incredible campaign against lefties, despite being pretty terrible against righties last year. Um, So, so it's three guys who who don't have much time left, but we're hoping have a bunch of baseball left in them. What what are your thoughts there? I, I mean, I know a lot of people when it was announced, it was it, you, you look at Twitter and you see the division of 
this is a horrible signing. Why, you know, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes to me, baseball's a, I mean, see, baseball's a beautiful game because of the sentimentality of it. And I understand that like he, he can contribute, like, especially against lefties. He's still a very effective hitter against lefties. Um, but so it makes it more than just a nostalgia signing, but there's something right about Pujols coming back, potentially the three of them going out together. Um, I'm not entirely sure that Wayno will. I think it'll really depend on like the end of how the season goes. Um, I can tell you right now, if by a miracle of the world, they win a world series, they're all going out together. There's no oh, world. Yeah. He won't just oh, end yeah. on, a, on a high note. Um, <laughs> but that's just me being, you know, like poetic dreaming of a fan. Um, but at least you're going to see Yachty and Albert end together. Um, it kind of gives me a little bit of the feeling of when Holiday left and that like epic picture, a legendary picture of Wayno, Holiday, and Yachty hugging. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I was, I was tears and <laughs> like the final end of the end of this season is going to, it's going to even pass that up. There's going to yeah. be some moments along the way that are amazing. There's going to be some probably moments along the way where I'm like, Oh God, this is bad. But yeah, yeah that's end, what happens over 162, right? Right. But in the end, I think this is, this is a good thing. And I'm very, very, very excited for this season. Probably more so, so than I have been in a few seasons. See, and I don't know. I'm, I'm very much torn on this. The 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 absolute computer nerd in me and baseball nerd in me is really really anxious about this season. I we, we can get into this episode later about about some of the holes I think this team has and how it's the first time since maybe the Marcel Ozuna trade that I feel like we've pushed down the wrong track. But the sentimentality portion of me, the the baseball fan in me, is really excited to see you know to see what Albert's got left and and to see it, it, the cool moments where he can help you out you know just live living for those moments where you know Yachty hits a walk off single and throws his bat in the air or or Albert comes through in the clutch and and every and the, and the crowd just goes absolutely bananas or think about if he hits a, ho- a home run tomorrow on opening day just oh my goodness like like. Bush Stadium might fall to the ground from the amount of sound that will come out of it. Like, I mean, just think of what happened when he was back with the other team, right? With the Angels for the first time, and he hit one. I mean, the the place shook then. But yeah, so um, oh, it's hard not to be romantic, right? Like, <laughs> yes, it's hard to be. It's hard not to be romantic about baseball. It's true. But uh, let's get into some questions here. So you and I, over the past week or so, have started uh, compiling some key questions around the 2022 Cardinals. And, and I've, got, I've got at least four of them here. You've got at least three. So since I've got more and we're going to kind of ping pong back and forth, I guess I will go first. Um, one of the big surprises this year, was, this offseason, I should say, was that Mike Schilt, got a phone call that he was expecting to hear uh, an extension after his 17, his team wrote a 17 game win streak, winning 20 out of the last 22, 25, I forget to get to the playoffs last year. And at the other end of the phone, uh, 
John Mozeliak talked about philosophical differences and the fact that they were moving on from Mike Schilt. And my question surrounds new manager Ali Marmol. Uh, Oliver Marmol has been uh, with the Cardinal system his entire career in the professional baseball. Um, and my question is multifaceted. So let me let me read this for the fans listening, for the people listening to this. Will new manager Ali Marmol have less philosophical differences with the front office than his two predecessors? Will he go so far as to act as Tampa Bay Rays or even Milwaukee Brewers managers might and do things like using openers or having strict platoons in the lineup? More importantly, I think he talked about potentially using hitters' tendencies against like types of pitches even, not just lefty-righty matchups. But does this guy throw a high-spin slider? Does this guy throw a 98-mile-per-hour fastball instead of a 92? Things like that to help him determine lineup construction or pitching changes. I can tell you on opening day, that will not affect a thing because we're playing at home, and Yachty's going to be in the lineup, Wayno's going to be in the lineup, and Albert's going to be in the lineup. But in the other 161, how do you think this ends up playing out, Corey? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think – you want to talk about biggest shocks of the off off season. I think Schilt being gone or dismissed was, I just did not see that coming. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, especially because there was no talk at all. Like we all knew that there was some rift when Matheny was going out, but like nobody knew, like I, I didn't read a single article about issues between, you know, the manager and the front office and then bam. But I like Marmol. I think he seems very, I don't want to say without seeing much or having much to go off of from just his comments alone, he seems very um, progressive for lack of a better term. Um, More, more so than the old school mentality of his, his predecessors. Uh, I don't know if we'll go so far as like the Ray's style of having an opener, but they kind of are now with, the recent announcement today, um, at least until he builds up some arm strength, they're kind of going that route. Um, I don't know if it'll go to so much to that extent, extent, but I would like, I really like the idea um, that you mentioned at the end with types of pitches, because we all know, like, for example, Bader's struggle against slide righty sliders with high spin rates. So if you play it smart, you can have a lineup situation where you have, Carlson in center and Dickerson in right, and you're putting two lefties against that potentially have a better chance against a righty with a higher spin rate slider than a right-handed hitter with notable struggles against that type of pitch. And it's it's a very different way of thinking about it, more than just lefty-righty matchup, righty-righty matchup, whatever. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm sure teams do it, but it's not something that is I think has really been vocalized by other teams that I know of up until this point. So it'll be interesting to see if he goes that route. Yeah. Yeah. Bader, Bader does really, I've, I, I've got the data in front of me. I've been working on, on something for a while now, but yeah, Bader really does struggle against that hard slider. Um, the faster than average and the higher spin sliders, but against slower, less spin sliders, Bader is one of the best on the team at hitting them. So it really does depend on the slider for him. It's not just sliders from righties. Right. Um, you know, another thing Bader struggles against is is mainly just, I mean, force forcing fastballs in general, unless they have a low spin rate. Um, but he is incredibly good at hitting the sinker, 
over the last two years. Um, he's a guy who can really hit off speed pitching at times. If it's a little slower off speed pitching. Um, and he's a guy who can really hit like the, the, the higher spin breaking balls decently as compared to the rest of the league and the rest of the team. And, and so those are the things that I'm hoping that, that Marmol is more looking at. It might not just be like, Hey, here's Dickerson. He's left-handed and doesn't have a place in the lineup. Let's bat him against a right-handed pitcher. And Hey, here's Albert. He, he hit lefties really well last year. Uh, so let's just put him against lefties. Um, I'm looking for a lot more nuance out of him. And, and I feel like, you know, compared to Larusa, I mean, Larusa did his own kind of sabermetric thing with Dave Duncan. Matheny was, you know, brought in to be the stat head apparently, and and just completely flopped when it came to that aspect of it. And then you could see advancements in Schilt, but I feel like he had too much Matheny in him as well. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see. I think that there's some uh, positive signs near the end of spring there. Um, I know I was on Meet Me at Musical with Daniel Shoptaw after the first game of the spring, or it might have been the second game of the spring. And Edmund had let off, and you know it was basically the lineup at the end of the season that Mike Schultz went with uh, for that opening game. And Daniel and I said, it's one game, but we kind of laughed about it and said, ooh, these were the big changes we were looking at. Yeah. And, um, but, but, I mean, like I said then, you can't really look at one game and tell. And, and I do like that you know he'd move to – uh, especially against right-handed pitching, Carlson at the top of the order, Edmund nearer to the bottom, uh, because Edmund as a lefty has not hit very well of the last couple of years. Um, so I've, I've I've liked the the opening act of Schilt, if you are not Schilt of Marmol, if you will. Um, I, I agree. I don't know if he'll go full Tampa Bay Rays or Milwaukee Brewers or 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 San Francisco Giants or LA Dodgers, but. Hopefully we're making changes in that direction as it comes to those little minute things that can make big differences. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think I read an article, I don't remember if it was, I think it was gold talking about Carlson and they were, it was Marmol and Carlson talking about like, he's, he's going to be moving around the order. And I think that kind of plays into the whole versatility playing matchups, not just lefty, righty, righty, whatever. Um, I think you're going to see him at lead off a lot, but I also think you'll end up seeing him hitting fifth at times. Um, I could see him moving around a lot in that front part of the order. And it, it makes sense because Tommy Edmond has done extremely well against lefties. It's very well right-handed. There's nothing wrong with having him lead off when you have a lefty that he matches up well against and putting Carlson lower in the lineup. Um, it just is going to be interesting to see how much it changes. And then you go into the flow of the game. And I mean, as a player, I will say, I mean, not everybody's like this, but sometimes it's some players are, they like the routine. They like to always hit in the same spot in the same part of the lineup, same guys around them. And you're playing a little bit of that mentality of what's comfortable for players. What's not what ones have bought into it what haven't, and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, Edmund's one of those guys, I'm just going to riff on this a little bit, but Edmund's one of those guys who if you find a pitcher who's got that high spin slider that you don't want Bader in for, 
Edmund's a guy that if it's a if it's a hard slider, he actually hits that really well. He's one of the best on the entire team. Actually, the best OPS on the team the last two years against sliders 85 miles per hour or harder. Um, and so he's a guy and he and he hits cutters, the slower cutters really well. So that that 85 to 88 speed breaking pitch that breaks like a cutter or slider is 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 that pitcher you really want Edmund in against as he just has annihilated that the last few seasons. Uh and even the harder cutters, that that harder break uh away from a righty and towards a lefty if a righty's pitching or away from a lefty and towards a righty if a if a lefty's pitching. Um so that that's something to look for too potentially with Edmund, um not just against left-handed pitching per se, but against a heavy cutter slider pitcher, maybe getting higher up in the order. Um, all right, let's go to your first burning question for <laughs> the Cardinals here. My first question. Oh, still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, my first question and a big one for me is how long of a leash do players like the young have? players that have kind of been bubble players in and out of the starting lineup like last year. And it all comes down to how long or can they afford a sustained slump early in the season from someone like a Dion. So I feel like that's a, that's a question that takes a little bit of buildup for me, at least I kind of got to think my way through it. Um, the Cardinals have mentioned that they're going to have kind of this platoon at catcher a bit more than, than Yachty was previously willing to do. Um, first base and third base, I think, are basically taken unless one of them's injured. Uh, I believe at this point left field's taken unless he gets hurt. And so those bubble players, as you called them, that that how, how long of a leash do the players like DeYoung, a bubble player, have? I don't think there's terribly many spots in the order where they've got bubble players, so to speak. Um, if Bader hits anything like he has the last couple of years, um, the way he plays defense and the way this team counts on his defense, I I, I don't think he's going to be out of the lineup very much unless he's hurt either. And, and same thing with Carlson and Wright. So I think it really comes down to the middle infield. Um, how long of a leash a guy like DeYoung has might matter about how Sosa's hitting, how Edmund's hitting, how Gorman is hitting in the minors, how Brendan Donovan, after his spring and Ali Marmol's extensive praising of him, uh, went. The, how, how long of a leash DeYoung has might depend on all those other guys. True. Um, now, that said, if he's got a 597 OPS or whatever it was last year, 570, I forget, under 650 for sure, at the end of April, I think he's going to have to earn that starting job back. Um, now, granted, he's not going to have to have a 1,200 OPS, like whatever he had this spring. If he can settle in around 750, 800 and be just a productive, slightly above average hitter with the way he plays defense, that that's not quite as valuable as a baiter. I don't think he's that good on D, but but I mean, that's that's something that the birds can definitely handle, especially if Sosa isn't hitting or especially if, you know, Sosa and Edmund fall into a great platoon at second base where Edmund's basically hitting against lefties all the time. And then Edmund and Sosa are getting splits versus right-handers because Sosa hits righties better 
Edmund hits up, hits righties worth just despite their their batting stance um, from the side of the plate they're on. Um, th- that's kind of my cop out answer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would say I would say by the end of April, we'll know. I, I my thought was was kind of along the same. Um, I think you'd end up seeing like I think DeYoung, especially with the spring that he had, he's going to see April. It's his spot in April, and if he's productive. He's going to stay in that spot. If he's really struggling and others are doing well, like you said, then we'll start. I think by the end of April, we'll start to see not that he's going to be like, boom, done. Somebody else is in his spot, but you'll see it. It's almost the same we saw last year where it's like all of a sudden every other game or every two games. And then they start, you know, not to like dump him, but then they kind of phase him out for lack of a better term. Um, I think that that's something we'd end up seeing. I really hope that's not the case. I think DeYoung is kind of like the, I mean, honest to God, I think he's the X factor when you talk about the offense of this team. If he can get back to the levels he was a few years ago, he's the guy that can make that lineup that much longer, that much more dangerous. Um, because Yeah, especially like, if you've got a Bader who, who levels out with those 2021 norms, sort of. Right. Like if you know what you've gotten him, getting a full-powered DeYoung back would be incredible. Right. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has that potential. It's there. The ability is there. And we, I mean, we joked around about it. You sent me that um, that video when he hit the home run. And you're like, this was very Goldschmidt esque. And you, if you watched him this spring, they he did a lot of work this off season. Like you can see visible, visible differences in his stance and his setup. And his and his load is different. His hands are held in different, and they actually have a different swing path. It's very, very. It's it, it almost doesn't look like the same player at the plate. Right. It really doesn't. And I don't know if he looks exactly like Goldschmidt. Like I don't want to say like he's going to put up a Goldschmidt. Well, no, but, but there was like some that. similarities in their. What stuff. I sent, yeah. What I sent to you was more meaning the, the follow through looked just like Goldie to me. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's just. DeYoung always had a one-handed follow-through, and he switched it to a two and as part of his new swing path. Well, um, an interesting thing, actually, um, that wasn't even so much the two-hand one thing to me. So Goldie never finishes, <clears throat> not, I want to say never, but rarely finishes high. He kind of swings very flat and then across his body on his finish. Like his, his hands usually end almost below his shoulder. Um very rarely his hands ending high. Whereas DeYoung in his old finish, his hands were way high, not just to mention the one, Mm -hmm. but even his follow through hand that he let off the bat was like pointing up. Whereas when I watched that home run and even a lot of his other at bats this spring, he was very much, it was significantly flatter through the zone. And I mean, still with a little bit of upswing, but flatter through the zone. And his finish was not even just like you said, the two handed, but his finish was lower. So he's staying I mean, I know, I know the argument of like through the ball on the ball longer, but mentally your finish matters. Like, yes, technically after the ball leaves the bat, you could let go of the bat and the ball's still going where it's supposed to go. But it's a mentality right. thing of you're staying through the ball more than trying to rip off of it. And I, I, I know I like, I like it. I saw it a DeYoung this spring. I thought he looked excellent. All right. So 
that leads into my second kind of burning question. So I want to go straight into that because I think it'll just extend this conversation we're having a bit. And it's basically that Paul DeYoung and Tommy Edmond are likely to start opening day for the Cardinals at short and second, respectively. Edmundo Sosa will be on the bench if either of them falter. Brendan Donovan does seem to be in Coach Mormal's good graces early on. If you had to guess right now, given their past couple years, given what you saw this spring, given, you know, DeYoung's stance changes even, uh, given what we know about Marmol and what we want his tendency, like what he, we think his tendencies are going to be in terms of playing time for people, like maybe platooning more in different ways. Out of the four, DeYoung, Edmund, Sosa, and Donovan, which two would you bet have the best season, like the best stat line at the end of the year at the big league club? And I mean more rate stats. So like if they all got 81 games, that's not going to happen that way. If they all got 81 games, who do you think would have the best stats out of those four this year based on what you saw in the past? That's a tough question. So like it's hard to say with Donovan because he hasn't been up in the bigs yet. So that's a very – I mean, I really liked what I saw. I liked what I saw in bits of games I got to watch in the minors last year and I watched a ton. Um, I'm not Kyle who just gets to watch, who watches every single minors game. <laughs> but what uh, neither am I, and I don't think anybody is. Yeah. I, I don't know how that man watches as many <laughs> minors games as he does. But well, as he always tells us, like three at a time. <laughs> um, but I, I, from little bits that I got to see, I do like that. I like him a lot, and I liked what I saw this spring. Um, but I'm, I'm still going to probably go with. I'm honestly, I mean, I'm going to go with DeYoung and Edmund, um, simply because I think they will both do well enough personally that Sosa gets. It limits the amount that he ends up with. Um, all things being even, I think that maybe this wouldn't be the case, but I think those two will hold off Donovan and Sosa to the point where it's a non-argument. Um, I think what actually will help Edmund is being at the bottom of that lineup. Um, I think that will be better for him. Uh, it, it kind of It's not that he's a high, he was never a high-on-base guy, but you don't need a guy that's batting ninth to be a high on base guy. He lets him be a little bit just more of a free free swinger and not being like, Hey, I got to get on in front of X, Y, and Z. Um, I understand that he's only one spot technically after the game starts ahead of that one spot, but it's still a mentality thing of being at the bottom of the lineup, but you're a little freer to do what you need to do or what you feel you need to do rather than the, the pressure of being a leadoff guy. Um, and yeah, what we already said with DeYoung, I, I do really think that DeYoung, and I'm hoping because I really like DeYoung, but I, I, I think he's poised for a bounce back. I really do. So if you follow this podcast and you follow birds on the black, you will have seen in the, in the past week, I did put out, uh, just a general overview of my 2022 projections and what you'd find on there regarding these four guys is that just by OPS, my system has it as Donovan, then Edmund, then DeYoung, then Sosa, in terms of who it thinks would be the most productive. Now, something I do want to mention is, I mean, that factors in, in 514 plate appearances, that factors in 20 hit by pitches for Sosa. 
Now, hit by pitch is semi-random thing, but it's also a skill. And so that's one that I, I have trouble actually doing this, but I figured that my system is going to be a lot of minor league stuff for Sosa and Donovan still because that's mostly what they've played and my system's all about the numbers. And so when I input their numbers, that's what it spits out for him. It spits out 12 hit by pitch for Donovan. If you cut those in half, just thinking, hey, the guys in the majors should have better aim. Now, I don't know why you'd cut it in half if Sosa got hit like as much as anybody in the league last year and only played half the time. But if you do that, it it changes it a bit. So it, it would change it to basically Edmund and D- Donovan would be about even in OPS, whereas DeYoung would be well ahead of Sosa at that point. So kind of something to think about there. Uh, and these are my 50th percentile projection. So these are like right in the middle of what I think could happen gotcha. um, or what my system thinks could happen. I just input the numbers. I don't put any of my thought into this at all. Um, but the one thing I do like about Donovan is at the minor league level, he produced ridiculous on base percentages. And that's something I feel like the Cardinals are missing at the top of their order. And I, I believe we ended kind of last season talking about this and about how you know, I really like to have five guys at the top of the order that can just do their thing. And and I feel like the Cardinals fell into a great rhythm last year with Goldie 2, O'Neill 3, Arenado 4, and Carlson 5. And what they were really missing was, you know, Edmund gaining about 30 points of on-base percentage. They were missing Matt Carpenter and, at his prime, in his prime. They were missing Matt Carpenter. I mean, Matt Carpenter at his prime probably pushes that team up a quarter to a third of a run a game. Right. Is my guess. Um, well, Donovan, my projection system spits him out at a 353 on base, which lo and behold is 34 points higher than it projects Edmund. That's kind of what I think the cards are missing. Or if you think Carlson's going to break out this year, which I know you do, uh, my system is a little less sure about that. But even him, it's got him 13 points higher on base percentage at the top of the order there. And if you could get that, then the Cardinals would need to bring in a fifth hitter, which <clears throat> Juan Yepes. Um <laughs> But the I think they're just one hitter shy at the top of the order. And, and maybe that's DeYoung coming back. Maybe he's that five-hole hitter and they can move Carlson up. Maybe it's Harrison Bader. You know, if he can put together a 770 OPS year, maybe that five will better. Now, I'd rather somebody who makes a little more contact than Bader there, which is, uh, I don't know if Carlson's really that guy either. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of who it might be. Maybe maybe it's a Newt Bar. My projection has him striking out 16% of the time or less. Um, and but that would have to be in a in a DH role if you're going to have Carlson Bader and 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 O'Neill out there. Right. I don't know. Um, that's that's I mean, maybe it's Yachty against the right type of guys. I don't know. I feel like it's an interesting part of this season, though. Also, I think that's kind of. I mean, it's a good and a bad thing. Like, yes, I, we all long for the days of the Cardinals of 2004, where the lineup wrote itself. Because it was just stud after stud <laughs> through the whole lineup. <laughs> but it's also kind of intriguing that we have, I'm, 
for lack of a better term, we have a lot of potential and a lot, a little bit of unknown, which is ner- nerve wracking. It always is, but I mean, we're, we don't have the Dodgers lineup. Duh. But I, I kind of am intrigued to see who steps up and puts into that role. Like obviously perfect world. We have, you know, someone that can be, I don't know, for uh, the next Matt Carpenter who gets on base at a 383 clip and is exactly what you want in a leadoff hitter, even if he's not the <laughs> air quotes stereotypical uh, leadoff guy, but he gets on base. Right. Even if he's not a running Redbird, right? Right. I mean, your, your job at leadoff is to get on base. That's your job. Um, and right now, it's a little unknown. I mean, I love Edmund for his speed, but he doesn't get on base enough to be a leadoff guy for me. Just doesn't do it. I mean, man, just think if he had a 330 on base, 340 on base. Then he's exactly what you want. I mean, the dude had a 308 last year and scored 91 runs. He's got a 321 for his career and basically averages over 80 runs, 85 runs per 600 plate appearances. Right. I mean, he if he got on base more with his speed, I mean, we talked about his his I want to say his stat line is a little undervalued when you talk about just as just flat OPS because it doesn't factor I mean, he, how many times he turned a single into a double with a stolen base, that changes that OPS. We talked about that some in the offseason. Um so like from his production value standpoint, Edmund I think his is underrated, but that shows you how much it would help if he could get on base a little bit more because of how many bases he can steal the ability he has on the base path. If that dude could walk just a little more, <laughs> like we're not talking a lot, just a little bit more and get that OPS in the three forty range. He'd score 120 runs a year. Yeah. Now, I find it funny that uh, you and I are harping on batting order when we're talking about we had just finished the discussion of we're hoping Marmol plays more matchups and maybe that this doesn't need to be a a team where everybody hits in the same spot every day. And and like you said, that that some there are some guys, and maybe the Cardinals have a bunch of them and we just don't know it, that really thrive on like, hey, I'm hitting fifth today, I know what I'm doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um but I don't know. It's just fun conversation and interesting conversation to to think, man, and maybe it's a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset thing where we're, we're all baseball fans and we're fixed on what's worked for the last however many years. And, 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 and the Cardinals have not seen much of the latter, that growth mindset of, Hey, what if we do this? This is true. Um, but I, I think you have a little bit so, of that too. I think you have some of those guys. Cause I know, you know, that Yachty likes to hit in certain spots. He's actually, he said before he does, um, Arenado when he came in last year I, because I remember that didn't they tinker a little bit with like him at three Goldie at four and then it was Goldie at two and him at three and yeah, he said he's like I'm the four holes where I hit I think is what and, and for lack, I don't quote me on the exact terms but he, he said something along the lines of like he's always hitting the fourth spot and that's where he's comfortable and and I tell you what, with his strikeout and his lack of strikeouts to walks and all that, oh my gosh, I would love him in the five hole. <laughs> That's, I don't know. That's just something that was just ingrained in me as a kid was 
Who do you want up there? Fifth, fifth is the fifth hole guy is two on, two out in the first inning. Who do you want up there that is not going to look to get on base, but to drive those runs in and set the tone for the game? But not strike out. <laughs> right. He's going to put the ball in play, right. you know, and, and really give your team a chance to take that lead early. Yeah, I I, I would have loved it. I, I, but I get from a player standpoint. Oh, but yeah, he can't he can't hit below four right now. I mean, he's easily one of the top four hitters right. on the team. But I also understand from so. just a mentality standpoint, like if you're productive and you're in, you've earned that spot, it's kind of like that's where you're comfortable. And it, I mean, baseball, it, to some extent, baseball players, creatures of habit, creatures of comfort. Yeah. Um, I mean... Aren't we all right? <laughs> so, and you want to put guys in the best position to succeed. So you sometimes, even maybe if it's not the quote best team for the thing for the team, it's the best thing for the player, which then it, which in makes play it is maybe the best thing for the team. So, yeah. All right. So let's stick with the hitting here because uh, we're already on it. What's your second key question? So it comes back to the, our, big acquisition this off season of bringing back old Albert. No, not, not Steven Matz, not the big money. Acquisition. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I can't wait to hear your, <laughs> we, Oh man. Uh, but my, my big thing is, and we kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, Albert, we know that it's, it's a beautiful thing from just, it feels right. Um, I have friends cause I don't live in, I mean, we've talked about it before, but I don't live in St. Louis or in the area. I live in Cleveland. So I'm like on, on an Island on myself out here as being a Cardinals fan. Um, but I have lots of baseball friends, guys I play with. And as soon as that was announced, my phone was blowing up from a bunch of my friends being like, this feels right. This is where he's supposed to be. You know, everybody as a baseball fan, not even just a Cardinals fan, was happy to see this. This was just, it's like the baseball gods were finally, you know, doing the right thing. Um, but it lends to my question of, can he give us those, or a Billy Chapel moment? Which when I allude, allude to that, that's the game, the movie for Love of the Game, where it's about an aging. He's a pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you know, aging, aging used to be superstar, way over the hill. Everybody's like, retire, you're done, blah blah blah. Um, and you know, he at the end of his career throws a perfect game, and it, it's it's a phenomenal baseball. I mean, it's just a good movie, but it's a phenomenal baseball movie. It talks about a lot of the the love of how what the game makes us feel, the happiness it makes us feel. Um, but it's it's essentially, you know defying time defying age and giving us those moments that like as a fan that take your breath away and remind us why we love this game so much and the question is do we think albert has some of those moments in him this season yeah and and i think i i don't know i i I kind of waver on this one. I, I'm hoping that his Billy Chapel moment wasn't when he came back as an angel. Um, because that felt very much that way. That whole series was a Billy Chapel moment, I felt like. And even with the Dodgers last year, that resurgence after he got released by the Angels. I mean, flat out, uh, Albert Pools, flat out released from his contract by the Angels midseason. And 
it kind of felt like that with the Dodgers. He he picked his moments and he crushed. I mean, he, he again he almost solely played against lefties with the Dodgers and was almost fifty percent above league average hitting. Um, the guy was just on fire against lefties last year, and, and of course, as a Cardinal fan, you hope that continues. But on the optimistic side, think about guys like Nolan Arenado. Matt Holiday, Holiday on that last home series, right? He had that huge home run. Mm-hmm. Nolan Arenado, opening day last year, not even a fan in the seats because they couldn't yet. And what's he do on the first home opener? Home run, right? I feel like there are certain guys in the league, and and I mean, this goes back to like when I coached a lot. You know, there there was one time when. Actually, I don't even think I was a coach on this team. It was like my dad was an assistant coach on varsity softball one time, but I went to go watch the playoffs, and and I got to hang out in the dugout, and it was one of those close games. And the bases are loaded, and the three-hole hitter's up. Uh, the No, sorry, the two-hole hitter's up. And the three-hole hitter was was easily the team's best hitter. And she's – no, no, no. Okay, so it had to be the one-hole hitter because she was the three-hole hitter and she is still in the dugout, so she's in the hole. And it was her spot that was a chance to either tie or win it, and I don't remember which. But she is literally squeezing the end of the bat like it's sawdust, even though it's an aluminum bat Mm -hmm. because it's softball. And muttering under her breath to herself, just let me get to bat, just let me get to bat, just let me get to bat. There are players in the majors who you can just tell that when the big moment is there, they want to just let me get to bat. Just let me get to bat. And I think Albert has that gene. And so I I think we will see times this year where something magical happens. My worry is, is it enough times? That's all. I just, I think as long as the spots are picked well and you're not expecting him to go out there and DH 127 games, I think we'll see more of those big moments than not. Um, I was, I mean, I was pleasantly, I mean, he's still, oh man, watching that man run. It hurts my knees, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, he. I, I, I hate the. I hate the expression of you know best shape of his life, which they always use for aging players. But he looks like he lost some weight. He looks more muscly than he has in years past. I don't know. He look. He looks a little rejuvenated. I think a little bit of. I, I don't know. I. This game is so hard. It, I don't. I think a lot of people. A lot of people on Twitter. A lot of people that have never played it. They don't understand how freaking decimatingly hard this game is um, and how, I mean, I never even played for money and I understand what it's like to play under pressure. He went to the Angels under the expectation of being the guy that brings them back to the World Series. Didn't do it. Never even got him to the playoffs. And I think a little bit of the fun of the game got sucked out for him. In my opinion. And I think he got a little bit of that back with the Dodgers last year. And I, and I think he's going to have that too here, even more so, because he's back 
home. He's back where he belongs. That dude's going to have a statue outside of the stadium not too long from now. And playing with his friends that he has played with and came up with, I think the joy of the game is going to revitalize him to some extent. And I think there's a big factor here outside of just what he can do. He brings so much more to young players, to the clubhouse, uh, to Arenado. I mean, when they released him, that that game, I'll never forget the interview. Arenado's interviewed, and at the end, he goes, "I got to say something real quick." And you know, a directly it yeah, brings it up on his on own. his own addresses Albert Pujols. You can't tell me that when that was announced, when NATO was probably like jumping up and down, excited. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's talked about before that Albert was one of his favorite players as a kid, and like, you can't tell me he's not giddy and over the moon. He's like, I get to play with. One of my he gets to play as one of the greatest third basemen in the game with one of his idols. Like that kind of stuff brings out the best in players. All right, so I'm gonna actually I'm gonna look something up real quick before I say this because I might sound really dumb if I'm wrong. <laughs> How many home runs does Albert need to hit? Seven hundred. Twenty. Is it twenty one? Do you believe in serendipity? Do you believe in fate? My projections have pools getting 423 plate appearances this year, which arguably too many, right? But at the rate he hits home runs, he'll hit 21. Do you know how many home runs my projection system has him hitting? 21. (laughs) Exactly 21. Now, Think about the beauty of this game. Could you imagine <laughs> you go into the last home series at Bush, which is the end of the season, and he's got one more to get, and he hits his 700th home run in the last home series in Bush Stadium. I, I, I will be, there will be a grown man right here crying. <laughs> <laughs> Calling Billy Chapel. Like, that's my point. Like, that those kind of things could very easily happen this year. There won't be a dry eye in the stands. Everybody will be just losing. No. It, it, this, but like, that's one of the things about baseball that I think that always brings us back. Like I was so frustrated with the lockout and everything like that, but the romanticism of the game, the idea that this kind of stuff can happen is what brings us back to this game with so much like gusto and so much joy. Like that's this, it's feasible. And like baseball gods, a lot of the time this stuff does happen that way because it's like meant to, you know, I mean, there's times when it really falls flat and falls apart and it sucks and it ruins a lot of things. But I feel like a lot of the times, especially with legendary players, they rise to legendary occasions. Well said. All right. Abruptly 180 degree change here. Um, Don't start talking about that. I'm going to go from praising the sentimentality <laughs> to asking a question uh, that, that kind of questions the front office here. Do we think the sentimentality of the roster construction this year affects the stated performance goals of the front office and new manager Ali Marmol, who claims these, you know, World Series are bust, basically? For example, 
on Thursday, tomorrow, or today, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the Pirates are opening with right-handed JT Brubaker on uh, on the mound. Um, it was assumed, presumed, that Jose Quintana, a lefty, would start, and Albert Pujols would get the start against a lefty, which would be perfect for the Cardinals. But 99.9% chance, since they've already said it's happening, Pujols is starting on Thursday either way, whether it's Brubaker, Quintana, or anybody. Okay, It could be got himself coming down <laughs> to pitch with a sign that says pools will strike out five times on 15 straight pitches and pools would be in that game. Um, there's 161 more games to play the matchups as Katie Wu so eloquently put on Twitter. Um, Which I love her. By and I can't, she's, she's me too. <laughs> me too. I need to have her on here if, if she, you know, stoops this low, <laughs> but um and you got to believe that the Cardinals thinking on the matter is the same because, I mean, Pools is going to put butts in the seats and it's what the fans want. It's what this stat geek fan wants, right? I want to see Pools on opening day. But would the roster construction say that? Not necessarily, right? Uh, it's a righty. You picked up Dickerson D- to DH against righties, presumably, and Pujols to DH against lefties. How much do you think the sentimentality of this roster construction is going to affect their performance that they want to have, that they're outwardly speaking of having this year? I I like to think that it won't, with the exception of certain cases. Um, opening day being one of them, you know the end of the season is going to be another one. Um, I also think the season will dictate that to some extent as well. Um, if things are going right and you're, I think throughout the most of the begin, especially the beginning half of the year before the all-star break where things are settling and you're seeing where people are taking shape. Um, I think they're going to play their hand the way that they're drawing it up, which is playing more matchups, playing more matchups based off of a lot of different varieties and moving parts and this and that, whatever. However, I will say that if we're towards the end of the season and God forbid we're not in a playoff race, you're going to see Albert hit every day because they want to give him a chance to get to 700, which frankly, if we're not in it, let him. you know? Um, but I do hope that they don't ride nostalgia too much, but it doesn't seem to be, at least from what I can take from what Marmola said, I don't think that's the route they're going. They're in this to win it. I may, maybe their signings haven't really dictated that. I could have seen a lot more that they could have gotten this offseason. But the players, I think, front office aside, I think the players want this. Um, and, again, bringing in someone like Albert, when we talked about the effect, I think, I mean, baseball is you know game of millimeters. And it's also a game of millimeters when you're talking about effort. And if you're one of those guys and you got a chance to get these three literal cardinal legends, especially game le- all-time game legend like Albert, into the postseason again, I mean, motivation is a thing. It's a long season. You've got a long, long grind of a season. And though they talk about dog days of summer for a reason. Guys are just like dead. they got nothing to give. But hey, like... If you can give that just teeny little bit more because you're playing alongside Albert Pools and Yadier Molina for their last season, 
that might be what it takes. That one little bit of extra effort, little extra hustle play, that makes the difference in a game, which can make the difference in a season. Yeah, and and not only that, but uh, I don't remember who it was. I really wish I knew. It might have been a Cardinals off day podcast. I didn't get to listen today's to today's, but last time maybe, or it may have been with Buffa and Dan uh, Daniel Shoptaw last week on Musial. But somebody talking about how those middle of the summer days where it's one oh one. Who's got a turf field left? I don't even know. But hundred one on a turf field or something, and and everybody's just kind of dying. Who's going to look into the corner of the dugout? And and of course, even if Albert's not playing that day, he's going to be the guy who's focused in on every single pitch. You know, talking to somebody about baseball. Yep. About <laughs> about you know what's what's going on in this game. You know, I, I don't care if it's a hundred one. I don't care if we're on turf. I don't. This is what we're here for. This is, you know, and, and especially I, I could see with Albert, Yachty, Wayno in their last year, just soaking it all up and wanting to be a part of those conversations, even when it's hard. Yep. Um, it's maybe even especially when it's hard. Um, so, so yeah, maybe, maybe that is a part of it, you know? Um, all right. You have a last key question that you have written down, and then we can talk about any others at the end here, but go with the yours. <laughs> okay. Um, all mine are hitting really based, um, and mine comes back to Arenado. Um, honestly, I mean, he wasn't MVP-level Arenado last year, but he was still pretty damn productive. That being said, Goldie, when he came here the first season, didn't have a Goldie level season until his second year and third year here. That first year settling into St. Louis took some adjustment. He didn't have as good of a year. Do we think that NATO has the quote unquote bounce back season like Goldie did in his second year in St. Louis? So here's some numbers to put with that for you numbers, people. Um, Goldschmidt's first season in St. Louis, he hit uh, 259 with a 345 on base and 474 slugging. In the COVID 2020 shortened season, he bumped that batting average to 302 on base all the way up to 416, but he slugged a little less at 464. That dropped his ISO a lot. Um, ISO dropped from, let's see, 120 to one, two, 225 his first year to. 162 his second year. Um, a lot of that might have been roster construction. Um, the Cardinals as a whole just didn't hit at all in that 2020 season, and he did. Um, so got pitched around a lot more. Also, 2020 is really um, funky. It's, it's just a weird year to throw out right, anything. Right. Um, I mean, if you look at 2019, he struck out 166 times to only 78 walks. Um, in 2020, he struck out 43 times, walked 37, so almost as often. Um, kind of got back to normal on the K to walks last year, still hit 294, 365 on base was good, but you couldn't really pitch around him as much, especially with O'Neill at the end of the year and Arenado almost all year. Um, but he slugged 514. So really second and third years getting back into the swing of things, identical 879 OPSs those last two years. Arenado 
is a guy who, coming from Coors, had some inflated career numbers, 288, 345, 535 right now are his career numbers. Um, But last year was down at 255, 312, 494. Um, He still had a good run total, 81. He had a great RBI total at 105. Still was able to get his doubles and homers at 34 apiece. Um, I, I think what shocked me the most, I guess, is didn't seem to walk very much and didn't have the high average. I think his singles kind of went to die at Bush Stadium. I don't know if he got too pull happy trying to beat Bush Stadium, you know, because we know Bush is hard on righties. Um, I don't know if he tried to use, if he heard the stories from Goldschmidt and tried to use the field too much because left center to right center is really where the ball goes to die and right down the line on the left side is where Arnado typically hit homers. And I, I mean, I guess he did, did get his doubles and homers numbers. So maybe, maybe he was trying to pull the ball too much. Maybe he was trying to use the field too much. Uh, I don't know. I what think it might've been exactly, a little bit but... more of the field. Um, he did talk, I think they talked about it in spring. Um, he made a comment about he was getting, he was cheating the plate a little too much last year. He said he felt like he was cheating over the plate. He was getting beat inside a lot. Um, so maybe he was trying to pull everything that if so, he was trying to get up on the plate. Right. So I'm wondering if, it could have been, I mean, either way, it's either he's trying harder to flare or to hit to right center and then the inside pitch is giving him trouble, or he's trying too hard to get out in front and then you throw it in and you're just either yanking everything foul and then you're in between. Um, so it's a, it's a really, you could kind of see a lot of, especially I mean, towards the end of the season, he picked, he picked it up. He had a really tough, I'd say like middle stretch and, I don't, I don't know the exact months, um, like splits and everything like that, but we all knew when he was struggling and then he seemed to find it. Um, and I, I think that I, I really, in my opinion, I think you were going to see, and I've said this, I said this last year to you, even during the season next year, I, th- I being being this year, I think NATO is a top five MVP guy this year. I honest to God do. Um, his defense factored in, He's settled in. He has Goldie. He has Albert to to talk to to work with. I and and with the emergence of O'Neill, I, I really think that NATO has a MVP level season. I don't think he's going to win the MVP, but I think he's going to get votes. He'll be in that conversation. So I will say projections wise. Um... I'm going to go back to Goldie first. So with Goldschmidt, my projections far outshined his 2019. Um, I think everybody's did. I think he was worse than we originally thought. We were glad to see in 2020 and 2021 that he was more back to form and that age hadn't severely declined him. But I'm looking back right now at my 2022, my 2020 projections were off on OPS by less than 10. My 2021 OPS projections were off by exactly 10 points. 
here's what they have. My, my, my Arenado projections were well over again last year, just like um, they were for Goldie that first year. My projections have them bouncing back to 272, 335, 509. Is that far enough for you? Or do you think it's it's bigger things coming? Um, I mean, I will certainly take it. What's that come out to a total? I can't do that quick math in my head. Uh, 844. I mean, 844 is a hell of a year. 844 OPS. Yeah. yeah. 844 is a hell of a year, especially with his defense, especially with his – I mean, you talk, think about what he did last year, the RBI totals he put up last year, um, and then add into what that, that jump, that RBI totals in the 120s. Um, I mean, obviously yeah, – probably one, 115, 120. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it's obviously dependent on guys getting on base ahead of him. There's more to it than that, but like, of course, um, that's enough. That's enough from a lineup standpoint. That's enough that I would be exceptionally happy with that kind of production with what else I think we can get out of this lineup. Um, but I do think there's more in the tank for him. I honestly do. I think you could e- I think we could easily see him creep into that 900 range. All right. And with, and I mean, in right. with his defense, in the low nines, he's getting MVP talk, for sure. Definitely, definitely. Um, man, a lot of upside we're talking about. So now Arenado's back in the nine hundred range. DeYoung's back to his former self. How many wins the Cardinals getting in that case? Oh, if they're, I mean, if, if you, if if DeYoung is, what was it? Was it nineteen that he had the really good year? That he was. Uh, I think it was eighteen. I'll look it up real quick. Um, uh, where he was a 30 homer guy. Yeah. And the year before that, he had like 28. Um, so it was, yeah, 2019, he had 30. Um, 2017 to 2019, DeYoung, those three years was a 251, 318, 467 for a 785 OPS. Averaged 31 homers per 162, 35 doubles per 162. Okay. So you get DeYoung close to back to that, which is certainly within reason for him. I mean, it's there. It was there for three seasons. There's no reason it can't be there again. Um, if you get DeYoung back to that and NATO, and even if he's in that 850 range, but if he's creeping into 900 and Goldie puts together another Goldie season, and then you can see, in my opinion, I think you'll see, I mean, not that Carlson had a bad year. He certainly I mean, he was third in MVP or third in rookie of the year voting. He had a good season. Um, but if I think if he does anything more blossoms a little bit more, that's a pretty damn nasty one through five with O'Neill on there too. Yeah. So, um, here's my thing with DeYoung, just looking at the stats, I would start him against every sinker baller. If there's a four seam fastball, I probably don't touch it. I probably let him, let him stay on the bench. But if we're facing a sinker baller, he's got over a thousand OPS against the sinker the last two years. That's an, that's impressive. He also hits slower cutters even better than that. Um, but really has had trouble with almost everything else. Um, he does well against some low spin off speed stuff, some very fast breaking ball stuff, like fast curveballs, hard curveballs. Um, but I would get him in there, especially early in the year, if you really want to get him rolling, get him in there against sinker ballers is 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 my thinking. 
I don't know. Enough. All right, so I'm gonna. T- I don't go know ahead. enough about um, JT Brubaker. What does he throw? Oh, you know what? I had gone to look him up, and then I realized if he's starting opening day, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter because they're going to start who they're going to start. <laughs> so, like, I planned out this series about who I would want the Cardinals to hit, and for JT Brubaker, I literally wrote down "doesn't matter" opening day. <laughs> Um, now I will say, I think I put up on Twitter that he throws a, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget. I think a low spin, low speed four seamer. Uh, I'm, I'm looking now as we talk. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, I can't find it fast enough it's to okay. make that worthwhile. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It does. It doesn't matter. I'm gonna, um, I'm, we're gonna watch. We're gonna watch a great game tomorrow. Doesn't matter what it is. Oh yeah. Oh no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter <laughs> at all. I was just curious if you knew off the top of your head. I do not. Um. All right. So we're to my last question, and and we're gonna finally jump to the pitching. And, and you know, if we get that 900 OPS from Arenado, and we get that bounce back from DeYoung, the pitching won't matter quite as much. Um. My question is, how many starting pitchers will the Cardinals use in 2022? As of today, we know the five they're starting the year with. Jordan Hicks, who you alluded to earlier, got the nod earlier today to be that fifth starter. Now, it's kind of been talked about that he's. Pr- we're probably looking at like the two-inning range for him in this first start. Um, he only got three or four or five innings this spring, at least in games that were, um, counted. Um, so the Wainwright, the, sorry, the rotation coming into the year is Wainwright opening day, Michaelis, Matz, Hudson, Hicks. We know that they're looking to get Flaherty starts, obviously when he comes back. So that's going to be at least six starters. They've got Woodford. They've got Verhagen. Another new one. They've got Aaron Brooks, another new guy, um, who I think all three of those at some point are going to make a start this year. So I think at least nine just with those. I also think that they want to get Libertor up at some point this year, which is 10. And they already put Andre Payante, who's Andre Payante was a starter in the minors, and they've put him on the bullpen pen to bullpen plan to start the year. I could see them hitting 12 to 15 starters this year, which is really kind of scary. Yeah, I was my guess coming off of last 14 year because you're going to have at least one or two injuries. Even if they're not long term, you're going to have a soreness here that adds a start, you're going to have a a blister that adds a st- another starter randomly some you know, there's always a it's so rare that you have five starters congratulations that's who you run with all year it just never happens well especially especially when wainwright's 40 so who knows right i mean he hey, could hey, be last year wainwright he could be 2020 <laughs> Wainwright. he could be 2021 Wainwright. right uh, hell the way he's improving he could go out there and start 37 games and throw 240 innings. And I don't know that I would be surprised, 
I might be a little bit surprised. I wouldn't be terribly surprised look, if look he went on and did that. The way I look at it this way, and I said it last year, and I said it the year before, if we're in a big game, we have a must-win game. Wainwright's the guy I want with the ball. That that dude just finds it. when he The plays. last two years, yeah. Uh, we've got a four-game losing streak. Who do you want out there? Adam. I want him to turn it around. Yeah, stop He's it. the only guy that's shown in the last two years he will. Then we have Michaelis, who's coming off of multiple seasons of injuries. We have Steven Matz, the new acquisition, who has never thrown over 160 innings in a year, never made more than 30 starts in a season. Dakota Hudson coming off an injury. And Jordan Hicks now coming off of multiple seasons of injuries, filling in for Jack Flaherty, who's injured and coming off of an injury. Stop scaring me. Already on the already on the IR is Alex Reyes, who was Finally healthy, coming off of half a decade of injuries. But he's on the 60-day already. And I think they were trying to groom he and Hicks to be that combined sixth starter if everything was right in the world. So I think think the number of starters is going to come down to not only injuries, like you said, but effectiveness. If, you know... to get to 14, which was your number. I said 12 to 15, but to get to 14, which was your number. There's not going to be, what would that be? Nine. There's not going to be nine starting pitchers on the IL at the same time. And I am knocking feverishly on wood over here. (laughs) Um, But there's not going to be nine starters on the IL to get down to that. 10th or 11th through 14th, you know, pitching along with 240 inning Adam Wainwright. Um, so it's really going to come down to injuries and effectiveness, well, yeah, I mean, right? You, you, you expect, I mean, Miles has looked excellent this spring, but it's still spring. So everything I take with a caveat with that. Um, but if it, you don't know. He 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 seem he's very injury prone. It seems at this this point, it sucks because he was very very Although, hey, best shape of his life, right? right. He, he's talked about how he hasn't he hasn't felt like this since twenty nineteen, right? So I'm, I mean, if, if you we'll see. if you can get a good year out of Michaelis, awesome. But I I just don't know. Um, Hudson, I think it could be a big X factor in this rotation. If he has a good season, but he also hasn't thrown a lot, so you just you you can't expect him to come in and give you two hundred in- innings this year. It's just it's not feasible. He hasn't thrown in two years. If if I told you right now, Hudson goes thirty two games, five innings a game for one hundred sixty innings. You taking your chances, or you want to take that right away? I mean. That's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's reliable, but at least you got to, you have, you have a lot of innings to cover over a season and that's 150 innings. Yeah. I mean, that's 160. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a lot, especially you talking about coming back from a guy that uh, Tommy John and you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, I, right. Yeah. I would take that, especially because then you're essentially trying to fill 50 innings and in that number three spot with another starter from here and there four spot, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's just a lot of unknown uh, when, when it comes to innings pitched in this, in this team. 
So maybe my question shouldn't have been how many starting pitchers will the Cardinals use in 2022, but generally, how effective do you think the starting staff can actually be? I don't know. I don't know. That's the scary thing. Like, I, it's yeah. so weird This that we're coming into like how times change where it's not who's going to score runs. I'm like, who's going to pitch? Who's going to come out and actually give us six innings? I don't know. Well, I don't think there's going to be much of that at all. <laughs> but but that's not necessarily an indictment on the Cardinals. That's uh, the game anymore. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you, you got to figure guys have to be able to go four and a half or five. And I have 14 starters listed on my projections, coincidentally. Now, I don't think all of these guys are the guys I would choose to make starts, but these are the guys who who I've got written down. I also have, like, Angel Rondon, who I have listed in relief, who my projections have as 4.3 innings a game, basically. Um, So, I mean, that would be starter innings. It's got LJ Newsom, Alvaro Cejas, who are between three and a half and four innings per game. So, that would be a log relief piggyback type role if they were to get those many innings per game. But out of the guys who I've listed as starters, my projected projected innings per game, Wainwright 6.2. Michael is the second at 5.4. Flaherty and Brooks are, t- no, sorry. Flaherty's ahead of Brooks at 5.2 in third. Brooks is the only other guy that my projections say are going to average five a start. That's not good. That's not going to cut it. <laughs> that includes the new $44 million man, Stephen Matz. Um, and that includes Dakota Hudson. I, I will say. Who was rookie of the year votes two years yeah, ago. I mean, Hudson, Hudson, Hudson can be that guy, but command after Tommy John is suspect, and he already had suspect command. So yes, that's a true. very dangerous uh, bowl of fire that you're playing with right there. Um, yeah, but I, I will say, and I think one of, I, my guess is one of the 14 will be somebody we pick up at the trade deadline. I would be willing to bet we get a starter at the trade deadline. Yeah, I could see that. Especially if they're right in it, they're in, they're right there. And in, unless you have Jack come back fully healthy, Hudson and everybody just firing. Well, I think even if you, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah. that you, we end up seeing, I won't say like a stud, but I would say a mid-level starter at the trade line. A Frankie Montas, perhaps could see that. Something like that. That'd be a comparable. That would be a very Mo guy to get. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like that's, I could easily see that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One last thing I want to talk about. I uh, this this is something that that I could put in the other episode that we we want to do at some point regarding um you know, baseball being back and 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 it being coming off the lockout. We were going to do a podcast like right when it happened and Corey and I's schedules just couldn't match up, but one of the cool things I want to just end with this maybe that um Major League Baseball announced in the next five years, they're going to do baseball tours in Mexico, Asia, Puerto Rico, 
Dominican Republic, London, and Paris. Uh, Derek Gould seems to think that after the 2020 trip was canceled for Cardinals Cubs to be in London, that he thinks it'll be Cards Cubs in 2023 over in London. Um, what are your thoughts on baseball tours outside of the U.S.? Outside of, I guess, outside of the U.S. and Canada, since Toronto is back playing in Canada um, uh, full time. I, I think it's awesome, honestly. The, uh, baseball has its own set of, of massive issues, um, and the lack of its own self promotion is a big part of it. Uh, I understand, like the old school mentality of, you know, and I get it because that's the kind of I. I, I it took me years to get on board with bat flips and the flair of the game and stuff like that. And I'm not even that old, you know, but it just, yeah, it, it was, I agree. it was just kind of like, I don't like this. This is not how I was raised to enjoy the game. You know, this is too flat, but like I've embraced it. I, I enjoy it. As long as people aren't being shown up, make it fun. You know, that's, that's what it need game needs to be. And I think that's a little bit of what they're trying to do with these international tours. Um, to appeal to a little bit broader audience, get it out there. Plus, honestly, I love watching games in places that I've never seen. I've watched how many games of baseball in my life at all of stadiums that we normally see. And it's kind of cool. Like, I didn't give a crap about when they played in London a few years ago. I didn't like either one of the teams. I hate the Red Sox and the Yankees. But <laughs> I watched that game because they played at West Ham Stadium, which I've watched Chelsea play. because the the Premier League team that I follow. I've watched them play in West Ham a bunch of times and I was like, Oh, holy shit. That's a baseball game and a sock. You know, like it was, it was really cool to see. So I think right, or, or the field of dreams game last well, exactly. year, I was on vac- I was on vacation and I made sure that we got back from the pool uh, in the hotel in time to, to get up to the room and turn that game on before my son had to go to bed right. because he's only seven. I didn't like you either know, one of those. We teams. saw two to three innings, right? right? I like. I didn't like either one of those teams. I could care less, but it was just something about in a place you've never seen. There's some magic to that, you know. Oh come on, Lance Lynn started that game. Okay, now. well I love Lance Lynn. I mean, <laughs> and you know what though? Like, tell me, there's not a more like perfect pitcher to pitch in a Field of Dreams game than Lance Lynn. Like oh yeah, oh yeah. He looks like a pitcher. Except for except for I don't know, man. Like yeah, that's true. That's true. I was thinking more like a David Wells. Oh God, yeah. You know, he might. You know, Lynn throws ninety five. You you pull up like a David Wells who's rolling in at eighty nine with that gut. Like, I was gonna say that, you're that, rolling that him been. onto the mound when that. <laughs> And then he's rolling pitches, uh, rolling, rolling curves to the mound. Maybe I don't know. Um, but I mean, but like the, from a mentality standpoint, and like just the look, Lance Lynn was the right guy. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, it was fantastic. But but that's my point. Is like I think it's it's a good thing for the game to to have these played in other parts of the world. Um, and it's and it's an opportunity. I mean, basketball is big in other parts of the world. Really big. Um, soccer, mm-hmm. we all know, is huge everywhere. It's the biggest sport in the world. Um, Even the NFL has been pushing over to and Europe. The NFL is starting to try to make pushes, but I have a lot of friends in, in Europe, specifically in Italy, and none of them have any interest in American football. They think it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. But baseball has, if they can capture people to understand like the magic of the game, like what we've been talking about through most of this podcast, 
um, I think it can have a little bit more of a catch on us specifically in Europe. Um, it's huge. And I mean, it's huge in our side of the world, America, Mexico, Latin America, Central America, Central Latin America, America particularly yeah. Southern America, right. South America. Um, but I feel like it can really gain some traction in Europe. It's a kind of a game that I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not in Europe, but like, I think I have cousins that still live in Italy. I talk to them all the time. Um, they really liked watching because they got to watch world baseball classic, uh, with team Italy, which didn't really have that many like true Italians. They were mostly Italian Americans, but you know, you fall into like that love of your own country being represented type of thing. Right. Right. And I liked, I think that it's a game that really can make that push. I also think they'd be foolish with the world baseball classic, not to have that played internationally more than just in Japan and in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe make a rule first European team to win a game or to get out of the round of whatever to the tournament gets to host the next one. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that'd be, it'd be kind of cool. I'd take something like that, but yeah, I mean, it would be neat to, to, to try to get, try to get Europe on board. Cause I feel like even beyond the Americas, the, you know, the East, the East Asian countries, the Japan's Korea's, uh, Singapore always seems to have a team. I think mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, um, Australia is starting to get baseball going. Oh, big time. I, I want to say I even heard of like a New Zealand league, Yes, but I'm not sure. I thought, yeah, there is. There is. so, okay. So, I mean th- that East Asian, East Oceanic regions are, are, are hitting it up. And, and so, well, I mean, Japan's doing, there right. is global appeal. Driver. We just have to, Japan's really doing it right. You see the guy fly a drone in from the bullpen. That was freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, J- Japan's got the entertainment factor. That's for sure. Oh, man. without a doubt. That's for sure. <laughs> and I feel like they're playing. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I feel like, but I feel like their game is more of an a hybrid of like the '80s and '90s baseball that we saw here in the states than what it is now here. Plus, they've got the entertainment factor of like. 60s america mm-hmm. oh going yeah going on it's 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 really entertaining i follow a guy on on twitter it's called i think it's baseball brit and he covers a ton of like the kbo yep. stuff and south korean games yes yeah. and he puts yeah, a ton yeah. of stuff up and i'm like you know it's a little hokey it's a little over the top but man is it entertaining to watch like it's it's fun <laughs> like the final boss stuff like they're getting into like the anime you know, I mean, it's really, really entertaining take on baseball. Um, and I, I feel like there's more of that can, that can be encapsulated and more. And I like the MLB tour aspect of it and the expansion of the game. Cause you got to get people interested in it because otherwise it dies. I mean, <laughs> All right. Well, as an allusion to uh, one of my article titles from this offseason, uh, while this was not my preferred offseason, I feel like the Cardinals with opening day at home tomorrow with Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright in the lineup 
much like the KBO, much like the Japanese leagues, they are going to bring the excitement tomorrow to a huge number of people, huge number of Cardinals fans. I hope you are one of them. I hope everybody here gets to uh, <clears throat> cough, cough, feel a little bit sick and have to go home early tomorrow uh, to watch that 3 o'clock, 3.15 game. And I hope everybody gets a chance. Luckily, I'm a teacher and I'm out at 2.50. So I will make it home. Uh, my son is still debating on whether he wants to run around like a chicken with his head cut off at Adventure Club after school or wants to come home and watch with me. But I will be sitting there with a beer enjoying the game. So I hope you get to as well. Um, until next time, uh, this is Ben and Corey um, for Birds on the Black. For Cardinals fans everywhere, let's go Cardinals.